Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Your Toronto Blue Jays had a nice little weekend. You sweep a team. I don't know. Do you really get too nitpicky with how it happened? You only scored 15 runs total. It required Cole Reagans to have one of the weirder meltdowns on the mound you're going to see coming off of a couple of really great weeks of starting and a, a couple of really great innings in that game before that point. Do you care all that much? Jordan Romano struggled through a save situation, still came away with it. I don't know. They swept, though, 5-4, 5-1, They've now won 8 of 10. That's something they hadn't done over a 10-game stretch since July. This is actually their best 14-game stretch of the year as well at 10-4. and four. Um, All of those things that you would expect to be hearing coming out of the easiest stretch of baseball the Toronto Blue Jays will play all year. Uh, so we can put a pin in that 15-game stretch where they played the Cleveland Guardians and then a series of increasingly bad last-place teams. They went 10-5 and five on that stretch. Uh, if you were looking at the standing splits and thinking, well, I mean, look, obviously the Jays have not done super well against the Baltimore Orioles this year, and that has bled into an overall record against the American League East. That isn't super, super strong. Um, a record against teams above 500, that is just kind of eh. But one thing that you always ask your teams to do, and something that is absolutely maddening if they don't do it, is take care of the easy stuff on the schedule and the blue jays have done that pretty handedly they will finish the season having played 22 games against sub 400 winning percentage teams and they went 18 and 4 that is pretty good you're not going to uh you're not going to sweep it every time as much as in the moment it always does feel like you should be sweeping it uh so yes the jays are in a bit of a, a weird spot here where there are a couple games under 500 against winning teams they have absolutely taking care of the bottom part of the schedule, 18 and four against the, the league's worst teams. And Hey, the net of that, despite a little bit of struggle against teams above 500, despite playing so many games against, you know, American league East teams where I guess that that record will change if the Yankees win today, because they'll be back to a 500 team again. Um, yeah. It's a division where every team is at least passably good. And you play them a lot, even in the more balanced schedule, you of course have 12 games, 15 games left still against the American league East. Before you do any of that, though, the important part of what this little stretch against lesser competition has done is put you in a situation where you are firmly in control of your playoff fate from here. With the sweep of the Royals, it happened on a weekend where um, Texas dropped one game to Oakland. The Seattle Mariners got swept. The Houston Astros dropped one game to San Diego. So in going 3-0, and yes, it's against the Royals, but you were able to make up a little bit of ground on everyone except for Tampa Bay in the standing. So if you look today, the Blue Jays are actually in the second wild card spot. Uh, they have a game of an edge on the Mariners. They have a game and a half edge on the Rangers. And even if you looked at, hey, what if the, the Astros fell there? Well, the Jays would only be a half game back of the Astros in an event where they tumbled into the wild card race as well. So this kind of four-team race for the AL West title and the top and the bottom two wildcard spots between the Astros, Mariners, Rangers, and Blue Jays. Uh, the Jays are in a good spot right now, especially so because they're about to play what might be the biggest series of the regular season. They will host the Texas Rangers for four games starting tonight down at Rogers Center. They're all 7 p.m. starts. We're giving away tickets to those games a little later in the show. Uh, it'll start with Chris Bassett against Dane Dunning tonight. That series has the potential to not, 
look, 15 games after that is a, is a long time. Weird stuff can happen. But in a scenario where you swept the Rangers over this four-game series, your playoff odds would be nudging up into the high 90s. If you got swept by the Rangers, your playoff odds, depending on what happened in Seattle and Houston series, but you know, if we assume those teams mostly hold serve, your playoff odds could tumble into the mid 30s. So we're talking about like a 60 percentage point swing from getting swept to sweeping the Rangers. These four games and the timing that they come with it and the fact that they are against the last team out in the wildcard race, it's huge. And we set it up all through last week how big this series was going to be. Things played out over the weekend in exactly the fashion that makes this series massive. The Rangers will be down here 4-4, and there should be a real urgency on both sides. The Rangers urgent enough to be doing just odd stuff with their pitching staff where everyone's an opener and a reliever except for Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. Um, yeah, they're, they're kind of throwing everything against the wall right now because they're desperate and Look, they, they're coming off of a series where they didn't sweep Oakland, but they did have a couple feel-good wins. They had a top prospect come up and contribute in a big way. They also, though, have to look over at the Blue Jays, and as they're scoreboard watching, they had to look at Cole Reagans, uh dominating until he wasn't yesterday. Bit of a weird one. Uh, now we bring in Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of BlueJays.com. We're going to mostly talk Blue Jays and set this Rangers series up, but Keegan, Cole Reagans goes five dominant innings. He's thrown 26 shutout innings in a row, and then things just unravel. A pair of walks, a trio of wild pitches. Have you ever seen something as odd as that in a game you were covering? Never. I mean, my goodness. I don't know if you can get the yips for 30 seconds or how you define that. I'm sure after that first pitch, when you face plant on the mound and throw a Hail Mary into the 200 section, yeah, you're probably a, a little hesitant on the next pitch, but that was awkward. Uh, I'm surprised that the manager didn't come out or try to slow that down, but of all ways to win, uh, man, that even beats the uh, bases loaded hit by pitches we've seen a couple of times. That was completely bizarre. It's, uh, it's an odd one. Keegan, have you ever had like a yips moment yourself? Oh, man. In my, back in my golfing days, mm. uh, yes. I grew, up a, uh, I grew up with golf as my sport, oddly enough. I thought that would once be my, uh, my path in life. And, uh, you know, I, I could, uh, as you might guess from looking at me, Blake, great off the tee terrible putter hmm. big distance off the tee couldn't putt but you know in in my baseball days i, I think i was a, a dh from the the age of about four or five years <laughs> old so i i didn't have to worry about fielding and throwing too much thankfully well yeah i uh i have had that moment before uh mine may have been hangover related but yeah you play in enough slow pitch tournaments and you're not a very good player to begin with uh, i once walked the first six batters of a game and pulled myself out of the game um so it's uh i can i can appreciate it a little bit so cole raggins is very very good in that game but has a stumble and the jays are able to take advantage and that's kind of what the last two weeks have been about we can you know kind of put the the guardian series in the rear view but nationals Rockies, A's, Royals, kind of progressively worse last place teams. The Jays mostly took care of their business. They didn't sweep every series, but, you know, I mentioned the stat off the top. They finished the year 18-4 and four against teams who were below 400 in the win percentage. Uh, it was not always pretty, 
and you would have liked some of those to be smoother, more comfortable wins. But you zoom out here heading into a very big series like the Rangers. Do you feel okay about what the Blue Jays were able to accomplish in the part of the schedule where we were all like, yeah, you got to make up some ground here? It's good enough. I don't know if good enough is the goal at this time of year, but I think these last two weeks, Blake, have been difficult to even analyze for me because wins are wins. If you are winning 10 out of 15 games this time of year, even against competition that poor, that's good enough. Like John Snyder said, there were a couple of wins left on the table, and a lot of those games were grinding it out against either poor teams or pitchers I've never heard of. But it's good enough. It puts them in a good position, and thankfully, if you're the Blue Jays, they got some help from the Mariners looking a little more human, from the Rangers looking plain bad for a while there. It's good enough. You know, it's put them in the position they want to be in, even if it hasn't felt great, which I think is really an example of this whole season. You know, if they're in a good spot, even if it hasn't felt as good as it should have. Now, uh, a part of that, a part of why it hasn't felt as good as it should have maybe is, you know, some of these games, look, it's baseball, you're going to play some close games, right? But they also, you know, if we look at the last four games as a whole, and really you can even look back to the, the entire Oakland series where they put up some runs, but not gaudy numbers or anything like that. But they only scored twice in the, in the series finale against Oakland. And then they scored five games in each of these three against the Royals. And look, five game, five runs per game is more than what they've been doing for the season, but 17 runs only over four over your last four against pretty bad teams. And pretty, I mean, Kansas city's bullpen is a, like just picking triple a names out of a hat at this point, with the exception of Carlos Hernandez. So um, to not do a lot of damage there, I do wonder Keegan, obviously the pitching was tremendous over the athletic series, over the Kansas city series. Um, There, there isn't really a question there, but the fact that you're left, even with the wins, you're left wanting a little bit. How much of that comes down to the fact you, do you think that they were just kind of, you know, I, I mean, literally every win was five runs, five, four, five, one, five, two. Um, there was no real and, and Reagan's aside because he's been really good. But I, I would have expected the bats to get going a little bit more against that Royals team. They should have. And, and through this whole stretch of 15 games, really, they didn't face any good pitchers. They didn't face many good pitchers. And that's why this has been such a it felt like a long stretch. But when you are finally facing a team like Texas or eventually when you are seeing a Tampa, for example, even think down the road to the postseason. If the Blue Jays line up against the Rays, they are getting their best starter, their best reliever, their best matchups, period, which looks a heck of a lot different than the Rockies and the A's and the Royals. It's a different sport at this point. So good that they scraped by with those wins uh, and played some good baseball in there while they've been shorthanded. Absolutely. But I, I think this is what players mean when they talk about playing their own style of game. It's not dropping down a bit to play at the A's or Royals level. It's about playing the type of game the Blue Jays can play and making it their style which I still don't think we've seen a lot of recently. And there were some big opportunities to do just that. So we don't get the, hey, all the bats are going, the the lineup is kind of cascading and everyone is, you know, everyone's hitting it and passing the baton and things like that. We don't get that kind of momentum yet. Now they're about to play a team that has really struggled preventing runs. So we'll see. But 
from hearing a couple of the guys talk on the weekend, it does seem like they feel a sense of at least momentum in the win column and feeling good about the baseball they're playing, even if, you know, to the individual, the offensive stats might not be there or whatever. And Kevin Kiermeyer was kind of the the leading voice in this. But we've heard Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett and Brandon Bell talk as well about, you know, the need to kind of stack wins at one point and go on a stretch where you really feel like you're playing your best baseball. Um, so while there's not a momentum in terms of everyone has started hitting and it looks very good, do you believe a Kevin Kiermeyer when he says that there's a quote certain demeanor and aura in the clubhouse right now with the team having a- at least one more games lately? You know, if they believe it, I believe it. You know, being around them, the the veterans of this group, I think you see a difference like between the veterans and young guys, and this would go for any team. But young players believe in the talent around them. Young players believe in their ability whereas veterans can go a little bit further and have the understanding and the experience that baseball seasons don't end on June 1st or May 23rd just because you aren't hitting with runners in scoring position. That's been so much of the frustration with this season is that fans, and, and you sense that frustration, have heard over and over, it's going to come, just wait. When it all comes together, look out. Well, when's it going to happen? And these veteran players know that can happen later in the season. Like Kevin Kiermeyer, who has seen a lot of good postseason baseball in his time coming up with the Rays for a decade. So the belief has always been something that I've thought is genuine from the players. Now, have I seen that myself all times this season? No. Anyone watching this team has seen gaps in where you might question that. But the team itself has seemed pretty aligned behind this. You're starting to see a bit more of why recently because obviously the talent is there. And when you are Kevin Kiermaier, when you are George Springer, you've been around long enough to see worse teams than this do great things in the postseason, getting in and getting on a run. So you understand why these veterans look around and there's almost this buzz of excitement that lives next door to frustration, but this buzz of excitement with these veterans who look around this clubhouse and say, man, this actually could be special. We've seen teams like this be special. It's just a matter of doing it. Like Kiermaier says, backing it up. So Kiermaier has the big moment and backs it up with the home run. And one of the, you know, as far as that dugout celebration where they do the celebratory uppercut, that was the closest I think anyone came to actually hitting someone with one. He was so fired up. And then our pal Arden gets the mic ripped out of his hands and Kiermaier goes full WWE style, push the, you know, the rock used to do this to Michael Cole all the time or Jonathan Coachman, push him out of the way. Hey, I don't need an interviewer. I'm going to do this myself. Um, Look, that's not really related to what's going on on the field, and that's more Kevin Kiermaier trying to hype the crowd up and obviously a big series ahead where they want the crowd behind him. Um, but to you know, Kiermaier showing that little bit of personality, to George Springer showing a, a little bit more... I mean, his is probably he's just having more fun because he's hitting again now. But do you have you found over the years you find out a little bit more about guys on the personality and demeanor side as the games ratchet up here in intensity? You do because you see how much they exhale or, or or can holler and shout sometimes after these big moments because this is such a long season. I mean, I mean at this point of the year, even fans, people around the team are, are worn out and tired. Imagine you know, playing every game. I can't imagine that. And 
these players, especially those who have been through 10 seasons already, you're a thousand plus games into your career. Are all of those games exciting? No, we don't need to pretend that every Tuesday game in April against the Orioles over the years has been exciting. They haven't been. So when you get to moments like this, you see how much it means to players on an individual basis. You see young players experiencing it for the first time. You see veterans trying to experience it a couple more times because they understand the lifespan of an MLB player. They know you've only got one, two, three more cracks at this. You see how much it means to them. And Kevin Kiermeyer, my God, if he ran for, for mayor in, hmm. in some city tomorrow, he would have no problem. <laughs> he certainly uh, he knows how to be that hype man, how to take a crowd over. And these guys have been around long enough to understand that it's rare. You know, a guy like George Springer, sure, you come up with the Astros, you get used to it. But these players, either in their own experience or from knowing other veterans, they know great players who have been in the league 10 years, haven't had the shot to do this. It's not the most common thing. And man, oh man, when this time of year comes around, it's, it makes you realize how exciting these games can be. It makes you realize how good baseball can be. And sometimes that's a, it's, it's a different sport than those Tuesdays in, in April. So you mentioned George Springer there, and he didn't maybe grab the mic, but he's the guy who we've heard from a lot over the years that he is a September and October guy. And Keegan, I know that you are as well. You're not sweating walking to the to the dome anymore. Uh, you know, you can throw a, a zip-up hoodie on top of the, the plaid button-up. It's, it's the season for guys like us, but it's also the season for George Springer. 876 career OPS in September and October. Monster numbers in the World Series. And we've seen over his last 31 games, so going back almost to the start of August, he's got a 941 OPS. Now, statistically, we know that you can't prove a guy is clutch or anything like that, right? You give a guy enough sample, everyone just kind of becomes the player they are over enough of that sample. But George Springer's pretty far into his career here now, and he has consistently been pretty good in September and consistently been very good in October. What do you think it is about George Springer that this time of year just clicks for him? And I think especially like this is going to be the second most games he's ever played in a season. And he's still finding the right gear at the right time here for the blue Jays. Yeah. It's past the point of coincidence. (laughs) I think for Springer, some of these guys do have it. And I always go back to John Schneider's basic definition of clutch, which is just doing the same thing, but in bigger moments, it's not trying to be somebody else. It's not getting nervous. It's just, going up there and being George Springer when maybe everybody else on the field is getting a little bit nervous. When, when their performance is being impacted, you're the guy shrugging your shoulders and saying, cool, let's do this. This is any other at bat, even when it's not. So you've seen that clutch gene with a guy like Danny Jansen, for example, guys who can just stay cool in those big moments. And Springer is here for those moments. If he OPS is 725 all season, but then shows up in September and October, Fantastic. That's money well spent. That's exactly what the Blue Jays want. And part of this, I believe, is that Springer came up in Houston, surrounded by talent, and was around other veterans who showed him a little bit of that way. Now he's showing others the way around him. But 
at this point, it can't just be coincidence. He is obviously doing something better or being more himself than other players are being at this time of year. And man, oh man, does this lineup ever look so much better, so much more natural with him back in leadoff and Bobichet at number two. It just makes sense. It does. And, you know, if your three hitter got going a little bit more, maybe it would look really good. Or you get Brandon Belt back, um, who, by the way, Keegan, we're both in our 30s. Uh, is this like is Brandon Belt just kind of dealing with be, like being a bit of an old guy right now, like the back and then flu and then back to keep him out for like, I think a week now. Um, what is your what is your read on that? Do we expect him back in the mix here sometime soon? Yeah, these last couple of days, it sounded like he has been available off the bench or at least close. Like, this isn't anything by the sounds of it where the Blue Jays are considering him needing more time off. But it sounds like he's just been going through it, nagging with that stomach and that back, which is uh, really unpredictable, it feels like. There's been a couple of games this last month where Belt is almost getting ready to pinch hit and his back locks up on him. So hopefully for the Blue Jays, he can be back soon. He's such an important piece of that. But uh, a little uh, unpredictable and uh, not what you want to be dealing with this time of year. No, and and obviously you can't predict that he's going to get sick and the back's going to flare up again. But he's been out long enough now that his IL time would almost be done if he if they had put him on the uh, the IL with the back initially. So w- what that's done though, him being down is it has kept playing time open for a couple of guys to, to stay in the mix here. Certainly helps that you can DH Bo Bichette one day. You can get Spencer Horwitz in the mix there. Um, Keegan, we've kind of talked about it for weeks while Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman were out. Um, and, and now that, that Brendan Belt has missed time. Has your opinion changed at all on the roster machinations once, you know, if Matt Chapman's targeting, Friday against Boston for his return and Brendan belts in the mix has your opinion on how this all shakes out shifted at all. I think it's a little more flexible than I thought at first, not as simple as just Chapman and belt coming back and you stick a couple of rookies on the bench. Somebody like a Spencer Horowitz, I think is impressed a lot. Uh, 2024 and beyond. I think he's a legitimate piece of this team, maybe a pretty regular piece of this team. The organization loves him. The coaches trust him. And this isn't just a flashy prospect that might hit a home run or might strike out five times. He's a guy who can put together a very professional and mature at bat, which is what you want this time of year, not to be wasting anything. And, of course, when you look around, you know, David Schneider has to be in there every day, but at Ernie Clement, around the field, there's been some real impressive performances here from guys – that weren't expected to be part of this. The Blue Jays were so healthy all year, and that really, I think, spoiled people in a good way. It's it's part luck, you know, part credit to the training staff for keeping this team healthy. But you forget about how thin it can get real quick, and it got thin real quick for the Blue Jays, and they've managed to survive it thanks to a few of these guys. Uh, so one thing that they are not going to be able to survive collect like at by you know the collective is the Danny Jansen thing you mentioned he's been very very clutch over the years he's had big moments late in seasons he's done for the regular season we'll see if the Jays extend their run long enough for Danny Jansen to maybe get back in the mix it also gets a little awkward because there are no you know minor league games to get into and things like that but for right now 
it's Alejandro Kirk and then Tyler Heineman cameos when that's necessary. Uh, Jays don't have a day game after a night game until Saturday here. Alejandro Kirk just caught three days in a row as a starter for, I think, the first time in his career, starting three consecutive games at catcher. Uh, how hard are they going to ride Alejandro Kirk? Like, like it's seven days still before there's another off day. They're all very, very important. Could you see Kirk starting, you know, six of these next seven? I could. You need to go as hard as you can at this point. And part of the reason they brought in Brandon Belt and they addressed that DH spot was so that Alondro Kirk and Danny Jansen wouldn't need to DH often on their off days. Kirk is a guy who you saw wear down a bit at the end of last year. His power kind of disappeared that second half. So part of the reason for all of this is to keep both of them fresh late into the season. And at this point of the year, the Blue Jays need Alejandro Kirk to be in there as much as he can be. His bat has looked a little bit better lately. And, you know, there's, there's more that goes into this than, you know, hey, you're a young man, get in there every single day, you can do it. There, there, there's more considerations, there's more measurements and things that the staff will take into consideration. But you need him as much as you can. You know, the Blue Jays can be such a different lineup when Kirk is doing what he does with balls in play, line drives. And Jansen's a massive loss. I, I don't know if there's a, a more underrated part of this team or organization than Jansen, but Kirk has that moment. He's fresh and no time like now to, to kind of change the narrative on his whole season. Yeah, so look, there's a lot on his shoulders right now. There's just a lot on the line this weekend and with this series. I mentioned off the top that, uh, you know, you use some of these playoff projections and the swing from if you sweep the Rangers to if you get swept by the Rangers is about 60 percentage points in terms of your playoff odds, which tell you how finicky those things are, but they also, you know, really hammer home how big this series is. Now, this is a Rangers team that has had one of the worst months a good team could possibly have. Their bullpen has been irredeemably bad they have not gotten a win from their starting pitcher in 22 consecutive games uh that is that is kind of what they're dealing with here i think they're two for their last 12 and save opportunities things are bad with the rangers pitching staff but keegan do you look at this team and you see guys like Semyon and seager going back to back and, and you know the kind of carousel of young players they've been able to bring up and have contribute even with you know they lose Adelise Garcia to the IL and say oh Evan Carter who's a top prospect is up um they're gonna get Josh Young back not in this series but sometime soon um do you look at this Rangers series and still have a healthy amount of not fear but respect for what they're able to do offensively uh, like certainly more so than the way the last month has gone for them I think you have to. You know, the Blue Jays had their ugly down part of the season. May, June, there were a couple of losing streaks, players meeting, et cetera, et cetera. That happens for every team. It's just happening to the Rangers right now at a really terrible time. They have the talent. It's a lot of the same things we've said about the Blue Jays all year. The Rangers have that talent. They have obviously won the games they won and went on those streaks for a reason. So it's still a team that you have to fear and, and respect, I believe. They have been terrible lately, but that can turn really quickly. And if there's ever a series for Texas to turn it on for, goodness, it's this one right here. And their pitching, like you mentioned off the top, has been pretty unique lately. They've been chasing offense wherever they can find it. But at the same time, how many times have we seen the Blue Jays shut down by a pitcher that you probably haven't heard of? 
happen pretty often. So it's been hard to predict all year uh, covering the Blue Jays of, okay, well, whether they're facing Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, or they're facing someone you've never heard of, that hasn't always mattered in terms of predicting how it's going to go. So this is uh, still a big one, and the Rangers are a team that I think is desperate now. They are very uh, aware of their own mortality, which can be a dangerous thing. It certainly can be. Uh, I I guess the one thing is, you know, obviously it's helpful sometimes in baseball to look as a team, you have to kind of keep your eyes on your own page, but as a fan base, you can kind of get caught up, I guess, a little bit in the, how things feel day to day. And, you know, Jordan Romano struggles to get a save against the Royals and he gets out of it, but, but it was a, a bit of a slog. And you look at something like that, or you look at the blips Trevor Richards has had or whatever. And then you look across at the Texas Rangers who have a, an ER, a bullpen ERA more than a point and a half worse than the blue Jays since the start of August. Um, when you look around at what other look, Baltimore's bullpen has been very, very good. Houston's ha- has found another gear here. Seattle's been a big part, but when you look at the Blue Jays bullpen, even going through some of these late season fatigue bumps and you look across the aisle at the Rangers, do you feel like, is that helpful context for you? Do you think it's helpful context for Blue Jays fans to, you know, kind of appreciate what a, what a bullpen can look like and and does look like this time of year? It's so much different, you know, like through the season, Blake, I I don't watch much baseball outside of the Blue Jays because I, I value my sanity. But recently, of course, after Blue Jays games, I'll throw on the end of a Rangers game just because these standings impact uh, where I will be traveling and how my October looks. I've had to watch a lot of Rangers bullpen, and it has not added quality or joy to my life. My goodness, it has been pretty ugly. I've watched more Aroldis Chapman pitches than I would care to uh, this season. It's not strong. It's not something that I think matches up with the Blue Jays. And when you get to the postseason, you can cut games pretty short. The Blue Jays should have Eric Swanson back today. When you go to Hicks, to Romano, to Jimmy Garcia, to these relief core the Blue Jays have built, it's really impressive at this point of the year. I don't think we've seen as many examples recently of them truly shortening up and winning that bullpen battle just because against the Royals, against the Rockies, It doesn't feel like a bullpen battle when you don't know who the other guys are, but against better teams coming up, I think you're going to see the value of that down the stretch big time, and you're going to see how much of an advantage it is. That's the Blue Jays' clear advantage in pretty much any series. All right, Keegan, uh, before I let you go here, you mentioned that all of this affects where you're traveling to. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer did a wrestling thing and took the mic from Arden the other day. I'm going to let you play big time heel here and admit that even though the third wild card spot would end up with a much more favorable wild card matchup against the Minnesota Twins who will win the AL Central, you can admit to us you are rooting for wild card too because you love the trop and you want to head there for three days. Is is that is that a fair read on how you're feeling about this? I love the trop, and let's say in my most professional voice, the traveling to Minneapolis is not my idea of a good time. <laughs> so uh, the, the trop is a beautiful place. I, uh, I, I don't think there are any scenarios right now where I'm headed to Texas that weekend. I know you'll be talking to my colleague Kennedy Landry uh, later on the show. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I, I don't think I'll be in Texas anytime soon because that heat might drop me in October. <laughs> but uh, Man, it, if I can get back to the trop and get back those regular season games we lost with the, the, the new schedule, 
what a gift that would be. Uh, that's what you dream of. That, that's, that's what it, September baseball is all about. Sending me back to the trop. The literal only person that has even a tangential relationship with the Toronto Blue Jays who wants to be in Tampa Bay uh, <laughs> a couple weeks from now. Keegan Matheson, MLB.com, BlueJays.com. Thanks for taking the time, buddy. Keep up the great work. You got it, my friend. We'll see you soon. Keegan Matheson, lover of the trop. Uh, you can follow his work at BlueJays.com, at MLB.com. A lot of fun stuff. Coming out of that weekend, some Saturday stuff with George Springer and what exactly goes into Autumn George that makes him, uh, you know, so effective. I think he can teed it up with, you know, hey, it's a it's hoodie and pumpkin spice and George Springer time. It's a it's a good way to paint that picture. Uh, some good stuff yesterday, too, about the, the Jays having just kind of taken care of business. And that quote from Kevin Kiermeyer saying that. There is a certain demeanor and aura in the clubhouse right now. I always said that when we fire on all cylinders, we're one of the most dangerous teams in baseball. It's up to us to back up what I'm saying right now. Almost sneezed. Sorry. That's a not a dramatic effect pause that I was doing there to let Kevin Kiermaier's quote sink in. It was a sneeze pause, but it's a pretty good quote regardless. And yeah, we'll see it. It's one thing to go 18 and four against teams who are below 400. It's one thing to sweep the Kansas city Royals at home. Even if you don't look awesome, this is the series, this Texas Rangers series, and it's going to be a blast. Uh, so much so down at Rogers center that we would like to send you to some of these games. We gave away tickets Thursday and Friday. We're going to take a break right now. On the other side, we'll talk to Lindsay Dunn of City News TO. We'll give away some tickets to Tuesday's Jays Rangers game. And then the second hour, Keegan mentioned, we'll talk to Kennedy Landry, who covers the Rangers for MLB.com. Dan Schulman will join us to, yes, set up the Rangers series, but also take a look back at, at Canada winning bronze in the FIBA World Cup, which Dan was on the call for. So a uh, fun second hour there, but Lindsay Dunn will join us next, and then we'll give you some Jays Rangers tickets. Uh, so keep an ear out for that code word as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. So the Jays sweep the Royals. On the weekend, the big event, though, came after Sunday's game. It was George Springer's bowling benefit in support of SAY, the Stuttering Association for the Young. It uh, looked like a pretty fun event. I didn't make the guest list, I guess, but our next guest did. Lindsay Dunn of City News TO was there. How you doing, Lindsay? I'm good. I snuck in. I didn't make the guest list either. Okay. Well, how was the event? I mean, it looked like a, looked like a lot of fun. Bowling's always a good time. Uh, how was it? It was so much fun. Not only was there bowling, there was like that bubble hockey, that you know, group participation that was there. We had Bo Bichette playing alongside George Springer. But really, like you mentioned, this event happened like maybe an hour and a half, two hours after they swept the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, some people don't know that George has had a stutter since he was a young child. And since 2014, he's been the spokesperson for say. And it's all about him kind of encouraging you. And people of all ages, if you have a stutter, like, you know, embrace it, be confident, it's okay, and, like, it will get easier. And it was actually quite emotional at one point because there was this young girl, maybe 8 to 10 years old, she went and spoke. 
And she said before this that she was really afraid to talk just in general. She would sometimes not speak at all because she was so self-conscious of her stutter. And there she is following the legend that is Buck Martinez on a mic in front of hundreds of people, including multiple teammates of George Springer to talk about, you know, how great this program is and how George has been an inspiration. And like George's mom and dad were there. His wife was there. His kid was there running down one of the lanes. It was, it was a really nice moment to see especially so many like george springer give back to the community and make sure you know the youth of today that you know it's okay to have a stutter and you can be somebody like george springer and not feel bad about anything so it's nothing wrong yeah and people can check out the stuttering association for the young for more information on that uh, i did not have a stutter but i had a bad speech impediment when i was a kid so i very much appreciate uh the work that george springer is doing there and i wish i could have gotten to see that that little girl speak after buck that must have been uh, a lot of fun so Lindsay, you mentioned some teammates were there and as much as you know had i got the invite bubble hockey i probably would have dusted every blue jay there when it comes to tabletop hockey bowling is not my sport uh bo bichette santiago espinal whit merrifield i'd imagine george springer is very good since he put on a bowling event uh i know danny jensen was there i'd imagine he's on the bowling il as well with the finger fracture but who stood out like who was a good bowler on the team well, George Springer, and he even said he's a pretty good bowler, but he was going to reserve it so he didn't beat everybody there. But mostly the players were playing that bubble hockey. They were very competitive and having fun with the kids. Like, he's a Santiago Espinal in there with Springer and Kevin Biggio as well as Bichette. And they were having a great time. But bubble hockey last night was the place to be. It wasn't even bowling. This event place has, you know, two floors and upstairs they had the different hockey games. And they were having the best time. Pretty competitive, but they're having fun. But Springer was the best bowler by far. Okay, and and Danny uh, Danny Jansen oh, yeah. in the in the splint. I guess he didn't like he. I I don't know how ambidextrous he is, but he wasn't like left-handed bowling or anything, right? No, like it's Danny Jansen. I wouldn't put it past him that he could be amazing at <laughs> having his one paw in a cast, which he did. He was walking around talking to people, but he didn't partake in the bubble hockey or bowling. But he was going around speaking to fans, taking selfies, and being the wonderful person that we've all kind of heard about and know when he's around the team is he's a really good guy, but no bowling, and he did not take part in any of the like arcade games there. Darn. Um, so that sounds like it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it sounds like the vibes were pretty good. That's coming off of a sweep. It's coming off of a series and game where Kevin Kiermeyer kind of and look I know you've experienced Kevin Kiermeyer as an interview subject a couple times this year but full-on like like imagine yourself in Arden shoes where he just takes the mic from you and rallies up the crowd um, I know you were down at the, the park a little bit this week uh, how how good are you feeling about the energy around this team and around the stadium right now Let's talk about the energy surrounding the team from coast to coast, even in the U.S., because you hear it on the broadcast, but I've been mm -hmm. lucky enough to go in some of the road games, and on road games where there normally isn't any fans, it's packed with Jays fans who either traveled from Canada or different places in the U.S., and you can even hear them on the broadcast or when you're there having dueling chants against the home team, which is just, I haven't seen this for years. It's looking people around the team that they just see more and more people on the road. But the energy in the Rogers Center, we know, has been hit or miss just because it's been a roller coaster of a season. But even going into the, their last road trip, fever pitch, and especially with KK doing what he does and getting the fans amped up, I have spoken to people yesterday alone at the event last night that they're already planning their playoff parties. And I don't want to jinx it by saying it, but they did. But even the World Series parties i'm like whoa 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 slow your roll but like they're so excited obviously a lot of fans are very anxious 
But this is really the time, if you haven't, get behind this team and support them because they obviously feed off of that. And I think, look, you can at least plan not statistically like if they get swept by the rangers your wild card plans might be out but like we at least know what days they're happening and that they're going to be on the road so we don't know the game times but you can get your viewing parties you know roughly in place right now at least for if the blue jays make the wild card and they're traveling to uh, minnesota where there would be a ton of blue jays mm-hmm. fans Lindsay, or tampa bay where i don't know we'll we'll see how we'll see how that goes so <laughs> Lindsay, in addition to being a sports reporter you're also a music reporter at city news to and you your reporting has suggested in addition to you know playing to the crowd and being a tremendous center fielder hitting a big home run kevin kiermeyer is also the best singer on the team how do we get him to prove this because for for someone who is pretty boastful about his pipes he's not very willing to give you a sample oh i'll let you know that i definitely razzed him after the interview and if people don't know i'm actually really shy and awkward so for me trying to ask kevin kiermeyer for like two minutes straight please sing (laughs) him like politely saying no i think it will happen by the end of the season and i've heard him like overheard him in the clubhouse singing and he's not that bad but yeah he's like the self-proclaimed best singer on the team vladdy has backed it up but i think everybody if you see him hold up signs saying we want to hear your voice because (laughs) Like, I don't want to, like, go to the ego, but really it's not that bad. It actually surprised me how good it is. But it's one of those things that I cannot wait to hear him belt out. Especially, I also razzed him about his playlist. Like, he had Bette Midler on there as a hip-hop nice. song. And he said he listens to it every day, Wind Beneath My Wings. There you go. KK, interesting, interesting human. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so we'll see. We, we've gotten, I, I guess he he sang a little bit of O Canada for sports yeah. at one point, but that's not a, it wasn't very good. So hopefully there's a, if he's doing a, a Bet Midler or something like that, he brings it a little bit more. Um, Lindsay, I haven't, I haven't talked to you on air since this happened, but I want to ask you about an interview <laughs> you did a couple weeks ago. I got to know, like how much when the interview ended, were you talking to David Schneider about his favorite Always Sunny episodes? Oh, for like another 10 minutes after I actually had to stop the conversation and say, I'm so sorry, you have a job to do. I'm going to push you away from me because you have to go and get ready for the game. But he's a huge It's Always Sunny fan, Max's favorite character. He's not up to date on the new season, but we mm. went through different episodes. Like he loved how the gang solved the gas crisis. <laughs> We're talking, he's also a huge Seinfeld fan, loves New Girl. But I'm going to say about 10 minutes we went on about how much we love It's Always Sunny and the different episodes and how they just keep pushing and pushing. And it's just not like anything you see on TV, which come on, everybody loves this mustache man already. And the fact that he loves, it's always sunny. He is at the top of my list right now for favorite blue days to speak to. So I need you to do a podcast with me and have <laughs> one episode about this. It's always sunny. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have to do it together. It's probably, I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to ask that of him in a playoff race here, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we can do it as a, as an off season thing or a spring training thing or something like that. Absolutely. He's also got to get caught up. There was even a bowling episode in the most recent series. So we can tie yes. every part of this conversation uh, together. So, Lindsay, you had a very busy weekend. In addition to the George Springer event, in addition to the Blue Jays stuff, you also helped to unveil a new WNBA-themed court at Joel Weeks Court. Um, how how was that? How exciting was that? I know you were there with, with the Tathams kind of unveiling it, but a very cool moment for basketball in the city, especially as we continue to all kind of hope this WNBA expansion stuff is going to tap us on the shoulder. 
Oh, absolutely. It was a huge moment. To be perfectly honest, when that WNBA preseason game happened in Canada, I cried because in my life I never thought I would see that happen. And just the support around women's basketball and young girls' basketball across our country, we've all seen it grow throughout, like, the last decade. And that's, you know, thanks to Sammy, Tammy Sutton-Brown and, you know, Kia Nurse, Bridget Carlson, all of them. But just the community that was there to see this unveiling and they had a local artist painted, it was Really, really inspiring to see this. And the fact that, you know, you're going to see it inspire future generations of basketball players, whether it be, you know, guys or girls, whatever it may be. But especially it is a place for young girls and women to play basketball because you don't really have a court that feels a lot of them were saying safe to play in. And it just shows that, you know, NBA Canada, you had Dairy Farmers of Ontario put it on to Toronto, really investing and young girls playing basketball like I definitely did not drain a three someone may have stuffed me when I tried to you know do a layup but it is a beautiful court if you're ever in that area go test it out it's it's beautiful okay Lindsay last one before I let you go because I know it's been a hot ticket on and there are some Blue Jays podcasters and bloggers who can't get tickets I know some Blue Jays themselves had to pull strings I know you're a music <laughs> reporter have you managed to wiggle your way into one of these Morgan Wallen shows this week Oh, my goodness. So um, I would say I do have tickets, but I'm going to be covering this baseball team. Also, the Canadian Country Music Awards are happening, but I, I, I do have tickets. But, you know, Blake, if you want them, they're all yours because I can't go. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to ask me about Taylor Swift. I'm like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. Taylor Swift, look, I paid normal person prices. I I can't imagine there's a person in this Rogers building who, if we had a connection, would pass that on to me. So, uh, no, it's just I I know that there will be a handful of uh, Blue Jays down at one of the, I forget which night, but one of the Morgan Wallen concerts, assuming, you know, the baseball wraps up in a a timely fashion. So I was wondering... If you would be there as well. Uh, Lindsay Dunn, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. Will I, I'll see you at the park this week, right? You will, and we'll go talk to Davis together because you already were rubbing shoulders with him this weekend, but we'll, we'll make sure we bring up that It's Always Sunny podcast. Absolutely. We'll get it on the books. Uh, Lindsay Dunn, City News TO. Uh, thanks for taking the time, and I'll, I'll see you a little later. <laughs> see you then. Lindsay Dunn of City News TO. Some great stuff uh, covering that George Springer event covering uh, the Blue Jays in general, uh, but certainly bringing out the the personality side of a lot of these players for us and their interests off the field as well. On the field, the Toronto Blue Jays are going to host the Texas Rangers for a four set here. On Thursday and Friday, we gave away tickets to tonight's game. Now we're going to give away tickets to tomorrow's game. So tomorrow, the probable pitchers, and you have to keep that a grain of salt there because the Texas Rangers juggle things up all the time. But I don't think this is changing because it's Hyunjin Ryu against Max Scherzer, which if that was the pitching matchup in 2014, in 2018, in 2021, and now in 2023, um, that has been a marquee pitching matchup for a long time. And we're going to get to see it at least one more time on Tuesday. Hyunjin Ryu against Max Scherzer. However, For this contest giveaway, you guys have done an awful job spelling things correctly. So we're not going to do Ryu or Scherzer or anything like that as a promo code. If you want a chance to win tickets to Tuesday's Jays Rangers game, you're going to text the code word Kirk to 590-590 as in Alejandro Kirk. 
couldn't come up with an easier name to spell off this roster. So there you go. Uh, text that to 590-590. In addition to tickets, you'll get some team swag as well. So text Kirk to 590-590. Uh, we're giving away another prize pack tomorrow. So tune in for that if you miss out today. And I think there are still tickets available for these games. So uh, if you don't win you know, you could take a look and try to get down there because they're going to be four very good games. Going to be a good weekend series against the Red Sox too. The Red Sox are no longer really on the periphery of this wild card race. They're more or less uh, out of it, I think. I mean, there's six games back. There, there's technically enough time here, but they don't have the benefit of playing a ton of games against the teams they're chasing and things like that. They uh, They might be running out of time here, although they do have three against the Rangers still. So, who knows? Maybe they could they could do a little bit there, but their schedule is pretty uh, AL East heavy the rest of the way. It's going to be a tough go for them. So the Jays will play the Rangers for, for four before they get to the closing 15 games all against American League East teams. I mentioned tomorrow is Ryu against Scherzer. Tonight is Chris Bassett against Dane Dunning. And then the probables for Wednesday and Thursday, respectively, are Yusei Kikuchi against Jordan Montgomery and Kevin Gosman against Nathan Yavaldi, who... Um, you know, we'll we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Kennedy Landry in, in a little bit and see is is Evaldi uh, really a starter? Is he a glorified opener at this point? He's gotten the hook twice really early. Once when he was struggling and I thought it was performance based. Another time when uh, he was going clean and they brought him out. So he is fresh from the IL. Maybe they're just ramping him up, but maybe he's uh, as they continue to juggle things with a bunch of long men and converted starters in their bullpen, trying to figure any way out to prevent runs. Uh, they're a, a kind of an interesting team to study in that regard a couple updates for you we're expecting eric swanson to be activated off the il today he threw a clean inning at triple a on saturday jay jackson would be the corresponding move there uh he would go down to uh to buffalo and hey be ready to go if someone hits the il or they change their mind on playoff rosters and things like that um the decision between jackson and francis i think coming down to just Hey, Bowden Francis can give them some length if a pitcher gets chased early or something like that. Um, you know, there are a lot of really good arms in that bullpen right now. And Bowden Francis's length is kind of a differentiating skill. If you missed it, Danny Jansen is done for the regular season after having surgery on his fractured finger. Possible he could be back in the playoffs, but it's a big old we'll see. Uh, Matt Chapman swung the bat Friday and Saturday. He told reporters that he's looking at potentially this Red Sox, the Red Sox series this weekend. Um, but we'll see day to day how that progresses. Uh, this is the first game of a series. Generally, that's a big news dump from John Schneider uh, a couple hours before the game. So we'll probably get updates on if Swanson's official, where Matt Chapman is in his recovery uh, and things like that. It should be uh, a lot, a lot of fun. And we'll find out if Brandon Belt's back because it would be nice to have him against the guy like Dane Dunning uh, and just in general. And if he doesn't start to have him as a pinch hit option instead of not having him as a pinch hit option, good thing the rosters have been expanded this last little bit. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll set up this Ranger series with Dan Schulman, but we'll also talk to him about, he got to call the Canadian men's first ever medal in the FIBA World Cup on the weekend. Canada coming third in that tournament. It's a bigger, better, more difficult tournament than the Olympics. Yes, I know a lot of people care mostly about qualifying for the Olympics, which Canada also did, but... Finishing third in the FIBA World Cup is a huge, huge accomplishment. Dan was on the call for all of those games. Uh, we'll talk to him next as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. 
subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Dane Dunning on the hill for the Texas Rangers tonight. And Dane Dunning is a a good case in regression. Um, He was very, very good early in the season, but pretty much all of our underlying indicators were like, hold up, this is Dane Dunning. There's not a ton of strikeout stuff here. Nothing in the pitch repertoire has taken a huge step forward. What's going on here? And the Jays faced him on June 17th. We set it up as such that, hey, this guy's, and look, regression does not work that you would expect him to have a bunch of eight earned run outings in the future. You just expect him to go back to being Dane Dunning. That wasn't the case on June 17th. He threw six innings against the Jays, only allowed uh, two runs in that one, only struck out three batters, but hey, that's, uh, that's where the Blue Jays were at that point. In the time since, the other shoe has dropped with Dane Dunning. And again, regression does not mean you suddenly become very, very bad to make up for it, but he has come down to earth. He now owns a 388 ERA. His true talent level lies somewhere in the 450 range. If we look at some of the underlying component metrics, like an FIP or an expected ERA. And the reason for that is, yeah, he doesn't walk a ton of guys and he gets a lot of ground balls, which is good, especially in in that ballpark that they play in, in Texas ground balls and limiting walks is great. But this is someone who does not miss a ton of bats. He has a 17th percentile whiff rate. So uh, in terms of generating swing and miss, he's down in, in the bottom fifth or so of the league. He does not throw the ball particularly hard and he's, you know, prone to getting hit pretty hard. It's pretty straightforward with him. So if you're looking ahead to tonight, well, why did Dane Dunning give the Blue Jays a little bit of trouble last time other than just the odd, you know, variance that we we deal with sometimes? Well, stop me if you've heard this one before, but he's a junk balling righty who throws six different pitches and will throw them to multiple locations and sequence them differently. He leads with that sinker, which gets a really, really good ground ball rate, but he'll also mix in slider, cutter, changeup, curveball, and then a, a more traditional four-seam fastball as well. When you look at the type of pitcher who has sometimes given the Blue Jays trouble, particularly ones employed by the Baltimore Orioles, but also by some of the lesser teams they've seen lately, uh, Dane Dunning fits the bill. Again, he gives up a lot of hard contact. He doesn't miss a lot of bats, but for whatever reason, the Blue Jays have struggled at times with Dane Dunning type. So that'll be interesting uh, to see. On the call for that one, will be our next guest, Dan Schulman, voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet, also the voice of Canada basketball at the FIBA World Cup. Other than exhausted, Dan, how are you feeling this morning? <laughs> um, I, I feel good. And I did look uh, in the rule book, and the plus in Jays Talk Plus allows us to talk about Canada basketball for a little bit. So Perfect. I think, I, I think we're okay there. Um, I am very tired. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a kid, but um, boy, was that fun. And you and I were texting throughout, and I know you didn't miss a, a minute of the basketball. So, um, you know, thrilled for the program. Um, so happy I was able to uh, to do the games with Alvin and Danielle and Mike and Sherm, such a great group. And, you know, then to have the Blue Jays win. And then I, and then I, the, here's the miracle today. I came home, taped the Packer game, put my phone away for three hours, was a good husband and father, 
and sat down at 8 o'clock at night without knowing if the Packers had won and then watched that game last night. So um, in my little personal world, it was a three-for-three kind of day yesterday. Yeah, uh, look, Jays complete the sweep. Canada basketball beats the U.S. for bronze, and Jordan Love looks like the real deal. you got to be – look, that's not the equivalent of sleep, but it's got to give you a a nice little shot in the arm heading into this week. Uh, So, you know, let's let's start on Canada basketball then. Um, So they have – you know, not a disappointing loss on Friday, but one that was probably a winnable game. And you could probably look at the whole tournament and think, yeah, Canada deserved to be in the finals or there's a scenario where they get there. Sunday is a game where, you know, can you get up for it? You're coming off that big a loss. It's the United States. So lots of NBA talent. That's fun. And then not only does Canada get up for it, Thanks to a uncalled lane violation on a Mikhail Bridges buzzer beating three, we get an overtime game that has to be right there with the Spain game in terms of, man, this is a put this one in the vault from this tournament yeah. in terms of the absolute best games we've seen. Uh, so for Canada to come third in the World Cup, it's the first time they've ever done it. They, of course, qualify for the Olympics in the process. For anyone who doesn't really have the context of how big this is. How big does it feel to you for Canada basketball on the men's side? It's incredible. I I mean, qualifying for the Olympics and finishing third are two separate things, and they're both, if either one of those had happened and not the other, it would have been an incredible tournament, I think, for Canada. And they both happened. And I know you know this, but for the sake of people who don't, Argentina didn't even make the World Cup. France didn't even get to the second round. Australia and Spain didn't even get to the quarterfinals, you know, and Canada surpassed all of that um, and did it in sometimes not the, the prettiest or easiest way. Right. But but they showed heart and character. And that, to me, um, is so important, too. Like they could have lost that Spain game easily. You know that. I know that. They know that. Um Uh, they were down 12 going to the fourth quarter. And it was an ugly end of the third quarter, like a really ugly end of the third quarter. They could have packed up their bags and gone home emotionally. And they did. And they fought back to win. And when Bridges hit that miraculous three to force overtime, that would have broken the spirit of some guys. And it didn't break their spirit. And to me, that's actually the best part of this is that those 12 guys uh, are going to have this common shared experience for the rest of their lives. And there will come a time, and maybe eight or nine or ten of them will be on the Olympic team. That's a conversation for for another day. When they'll need to look into each other's eyes and say, we can do this. And they'll believe it because they've done it before. So, you know, both the accomplishments and the way they had to to get those accomplishments, to accomplish those accomplishments, for lack of a better term, um, to me means this was an incredible couple of weeks. And uh, in a silly side way, like because they didn't win it, they're hungry and they'd have been hungry even if they'd won gold, but you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there are lessons to be learned. Okay. This was great. This, we can do a little bit better. We've got enough here. We need a little bit more there. So I think some very valuable lessons are going to come out of this as well. And it's going to be a fascinating 10 months or so to, to monitor. So the, the Olympic basketball will come around late July. So that's a timeline where if you're looking ahead to potential rosters, NBA players historically have been more keen to do the Olympics, not just because in North America, you know, the Olympics maybe carries a little bit more weight, but it's a shorter tournament. It's a tournament that fits the 
offseason flow a little bit better. It's not all the way across the world. Dan, for your purposes, man, these games only being five hours difference instead of 12 hours difference will be, <laughs> yeah. will be huge. Um, so that's all very exciting. And you mentioned that kind of being able to look someone in the eye and know you've been through it together. Well, look at what that Serbia team felt like late in the Canada game or a Germany team that on paper player for player is not the most eye draw eye opening or, or jaw dropping roster, but that group has been together for like eight to 10 years. And kind of with the exception of Franz Wagner, who, you know, is, is their hot young prospect. Um, it all kind of comes together and these tournaments build tournament to tournament. If, unless you're the U S who, by the way, Dan, I don't know if you saw this morning, but LeBron KD and Steph are all planning to play in the Olympics. I saw that. Yeah, I, I, I saw don't know. That. Can Canada take that as like, like obviously Canada beat them in the bronze medal game, but do you think you can take that as a little bit of pride of like, yeah, the U S yes. has to stack up. And so Jamal, we're going to need you and, and yeah. Nembard and, or Matarin or, or whoever else is uh, a part of the core, but wasn't able to play this summer. Um, would, would you Dan be like, how, we can talk specific rosters later, but how tight would you be holding this? Hey, the guys who committed and were here have first dibs, even if say an Andrew Wiggins type puts his hand up. It's a great, it's a great question. And, and people are going to focus on Wiggins. And I think you can throw guys like Brandon Clark and Trey mm-hmm. Lyles into the same group, right? Because none of them were in the group of 14 who committed. And to me, the commitment thing, like I don't think Canada gets the team they had and does what they did at the world cup without demanding those commitments a couple of years ago. Um, I think anybody who follows this understands that. So, um, you know, are you going to look somebody in the eye who made that commitment to you and say, thanks for the first two years of the three-year commitment, but we don't need you now. And, um, you know, it's, I'll I'll just make up names. Okay. So uh, Melvin Edgem, right? Melvin Edgem, who, as you know, has played all over the world for Canada It's one thing if somebody who did make the commitment but wasn't on this team for one reason or another comes back and maybe that costs Melvin Edgem a spot. But if somebody didn't sign, didn't want to make the three-year commitment and hasn't played for the for their country for either of the last two years, that's, that's tougher. And I don't know what Canada basketball is going to do, and I'm not passing judgment on it because there are lots and lots and lots of things that you and I don't know um, about reasons behind decisions and, and, and things like that. So, and then, and you mentioned Nemhard and Matherin, and I think you can put Shaden Sharp in that group too. Those three guys are in a different category because they were too young. They weren't mm-hmm. asked to be part of the core, right? They, nobody said, hey, Andrew, do you want to sign and be part of this? Canada basketball, from my understanding, and, and again, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe there are other things with agents and players that I don't know, but those 14 guys were on the list, and I don't think that Nemhard and Matherin and Sharp were asked. I think they just, you know, it wasn't like they said no, they weren't asked, because how many guys can you have commit? So if Andrew Nemhard says, yeah, I'm in, or if Shaden Sharp says, yeah, I'm in, that to me is a little bit different than a Wiggins or a Lyles or a Clark because it's not like they said no, they just weren't asked from the from the information that that I have anyway. So it's going to be fascinating, and there there is some gray area in there. Um, I do believe, though, for Canada to replicate, if not exceed, this performance at the Olympics, I do think they need to have a couple of changes. I do think mm-hmm. they need a little bit more. You know, they, Canada easily could have finished ninth, right? Easily could have lost to Spain. Um, and then actually I think they would have placed 13th, 13th with the crazy yeah. tiebreakers. Right. So they easily could like, that's the, they're beating Spain and losing to Spain is the difference between third and 13th. That's, you know, welcome to fever. Right. <laughs> so, um, I've, but for them to have a chance to replicate or exceed this kind of success, I think they need a little bit more. Um, I think they need another 
point guard, and that can be Jamal Murray, you know, combo guard, yeah. whatever. I think they'd love to have a knockdown shooter, um, and I think they need another big guy. Um, you know, uh, Olenek and Powell are absolute warriors out there, but we saw, and Kyle Alexander gave him some very good minutes at times. Zach Eady played very well against Lebanon, but I think we saw in some of the bigger games there were, you know, just very specific spots for him for a couple of minutes here or there. So I do think they need another big guy and and the guys who come to mind to me are Lyles Clark and maybe Boucher and you never hear Chris Boucher's name ever uh, you know to do with this program you may know more than me so um, but I don't know these are tough decisions because it, it you know with every guy you take a guy has to get bumped off the roster and that means a tough phone call or face-to-face meeting to a guy who's made the commitment so um, it as you said it's going to be a fascinating nine or 10 months as people hash this out. The only other question in terms of who's committed and things like that is Jordy Fernandez's contract runs through the Paris Olympics, but what if he gets an NBA job next summer? Cause uh, uh, he don't do that. Yeah. I mean, look, he was close this <laughs> yeah. year and he's going to only get more, more buzz yeah. here. Um, okay. So Dan, let, let's pivot to the blue Jays. You know, you get up, you're in the studio by like 3am, you do the bronze medal game and then you head down to the Rogers center and maybe there's a little bit of fatigue there or something, but you get to see something that I don't know going back to the Rick and Keel days you've probably never seen before and what happened to Cole Reagans where after five really solid innings and a 26 inning shutout streak he walks a couple batters and then uncorks three wild pitches in a row can you have you called something like that before I don't ever remember it and the thing is he's got no history of that and the, to my knowledge and the first one was because he slipped right or we thought it looked like because he slipped. So, like, we've all seen guys slip and throw a ball to the backstop. And then they, you know, do a little groundskeeping and kick some dirt on the mound, and then it's over. But then the second one, he did it again. Not quite as bad. He didn't slip, but he still threw it to the backstop. But he looked very tentative. And then when he did it the third time and slipped again, it was, uh, it was astounding, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know if there is something going on with him or if he just, that one slip, caused him to totally come unglued I'm, I'm really not sure what it is but I've never ever ever seen that before and it's great the Blue Jays swept the series but you know they were gifted two runs um, in the whatever inning was sixth inning I, I believe mm-hmm. um, in yesterday's game so you know the old saying is you, you never know what you, you you know there's always a chance you'll see something you've never seen before <laughs> when you go to a baseball game usually that doesn't happen but yesterday it did so that and and look the if you can say the the Jays were gifted those two runs. Absolutely. And Kiermaier's home run maybe still happens, but how does the game play out if you're down 2-1 instead of up 3-2 at that spot? There's a trickle down there. Um, There's also, you know, they are coming off a stretch where they played decent enough baseball to stack a lot of wins, but they did it against shaky teams and they did it in not crazy impressive fashion. So when you look, Dan, you know, they, they've won eight of their last 10. That's great. It's not something they've, they've won 10 of their last 14 and they haven't done better than that over any two weeks stretch in the season. Um, but a lot of that has come against lesser teams. A lot of that has come uh, in games where, you know, there were opportunities to win more comfortably or series where there were opportunities to sweep how do you, you know, where does it come out in the wash for you that the Blue Jays have been winning and that's the most important thing, but it hasn't been super impressive. And now the schedule is going to turn a little bit like Kevin Kiermaier spoke after the game and sounded like a guy who believes in the momentum effect of just getting those wins and finding ways to win. Do you feel similarly or are you kind of looking at another shoe dropping here because they haven't played terrific baseball? 
Probably somewhere in between. I, I think they're playing pretty well. Uh, I don't believe they're going to beat Texas just because they were able to sweep Kansas City. I don't believe in that at all. I'm not a big baseball momentum guy, to be honest with you. And, you know, the other old baseball expression is momentum is as good as the next day starting pitcher, yeah. as you you know. As you know. So, I, I like, I don't think they're playing poorly, but I don't think they're playing the best they've played all season. They They benefited from who they were playing over the last nine games, but everybody gets to play those guys. It just so happens the Blue Jays are playing them now. And I think it actually came at a good time because they did a lot of it without Bichette and without Chapman and without Belt and without Swanson and without Jansen. Like they're missing five of their 26, or they were for at least a chunk uh, of this stretch. And they still went seven and two through the last nine. I'm with you, like one in Colorado got away that feels like they should have won and they shouldn't have lost two out of three to Cleveland. That just shouldn't have happened. So. You know, over the 15-game stretch, to go back a little bit further, they were 10-5. and five. You could make a case they could have, should have been 12-3, and three, but they, they're still in a much better position now than they were a couple of weeks ago, and they can put themselves in a great position here against Texas. But they're going to have to play well to beat them. Like, I know Texas, until their wins over Oakland the last two days, had been playing really poorly, and their bullpen is a dumpster fire at times right now. So, But I don't think the Blue Jays can waltz in there and, and just think it's automatic they're going to get three out of four. Um, you know, they're going to face some good starting pitching and you got Seager and Simeon and Haim and, and low. And, you know, you got, you got some guys, right. They've, they've got some, some good hitters, obviously. So, but I do think just uh, from being, so I was with the team for a week, then was away when they mm-hmm. were on the road trip and now back with them again. And just the vibe in the clubhouse is totally different. Like during the Cleveland Washington series, um, it was not exactly peppy in that clubhouse when I walked in there. So, um, and, and that's when they were losing two out of three to Cleveland and struggling to take two out of three from Washington. I, I think one of the best things that hap- has happened to them is how poorly Texas has played and that the Blue Jays have caught and passed them and caught and passed Seattle. So, you know, bigger picture, the, the standings look a lot better right now. It's all in front of them. Like they, unless they get passed by both of those teams, they are going to make the playoffs, but um, nothing is assured and they're going to have to play well over the next however many left 19, I yes. think 19 games to, to get there. And yeah, you, you have at least played well enough to put yourself in a position where you control your destiny, right? You sweep the Rangers mm-hmm. this week. Statistically, you're more or less in at that point. You get swept. You're back to like 33% or, or something like that to get in. And then obviously you have, 15 AL East games to end the season. Some of those teams will have something to play for and some won't, but you have at least played well enough to put yourself in a spot where you control your own destiny. When you look at this Rangers team, Dan, you mentioned the the bullpen is a dumpster fire of late. I think they've blown 10 of their last 12 save opportunities. Obviously Houston put up historic numbers against them in that series. Um, You look at tonight and, and it's Dane Dunning on the Hill. Who's fine, but nothing super special and you look at what's gone on with their bullpen and who is starting tomorrow in Max Scherzer. Um, how imperative is it to you for you that this blue Jays team gets into that bullpen pretty early in this series and you start seeing, you know, Hey, this guy's pitched a couple times in the last couple days and Dane Dunning's been chased quickly and things like that. Like there, it really does feel like given who the starting pitchers are throughout the series, given what the bullpen feels like coming in that, getting Dane Dunning out of the game early tonight versus him being able to go six or seven is a kind of a big table setter for the way this series could play out. Yeah, I think so. I think it applies in all four games actually. And I hope part of the messaging and I'm sure it is, is try to be a little bit more patient here. And the blue Jays have some patient hitters and some impatient hitters. And you can't tell everybody 
to hit the same way. Like, I'm not going to tell Bo Bichette to be patient. I'm going to tell Bo Bichette, go be Bo Bichette, right? But, um, you know, it's nice in a sense having David Schneider up, and let's assume one of Horwitzer Belt is in the lineup. So right off the bat, you've got two patient hitters, you know, guys who will take pitches, work counts, even Vladdy, who can be very impatient and swing at a lot of first pitches, and sometimes there's merit in swinging at first pitches, but, you know, he can do it a lot. Even he's been more patient and has drawn some more walks recently than he typically has. But I think it should be part of the messaging for all four games is, yeah, get into their bullpen. That's the weakest part of the team. I mean, if it's a boxing match and you know that a guy's got a weakness in a certain area, or if it's a tennis match and a guy's got a, a weakness in a certain area, exploit the weakness. So, um, yeah, I hope they are a little bit more patient. Um, you know, not to get too carried away with small ball, but, you know, as a 56-year-old guy, I remember when small, small ball was a regular thing in baseball, and it doesn't happen very much, but I thought yesterday it was done perfectly. You know, with, if they had the right combination. The they, and, yeah. Right, yeah. They had Varsho at first and Merrifield up, and then they had Espinal up with runners at first and third, and it, it was perfect. And, and listen, if, if um, you know, Merrifield swings and misses and Varsho gets thrown out, well, it doesn't look so good, but that's the com- That's a good combination to do it with. And, and I think there are certain times and certain combinations where it does still make sense um, analytically and, in, you know, on the field as well to tack on a run here, tack on a run there. Um, so I like the fact that the Blue Jays right now, you know, you can, they can win a game because of their starting pitcher, like Gosman last time out, or Bassett his last two times out. They can win a game because of their bullpen. Um, and I think they're finding that they can win games in some different ways now offensively. Sometimes it's patience. Sometimes it's manufacturing. Sometimes it's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, as George Springer did a couple of times two days ago. So, you know, I I think they're playing pretty well. And I think it's crazy. It's September, whatever it is, and they're still figuring out who they are to a a certain extent. They're still kind of evolving and growing and, and learning and choosing and all that sort of thing. But um, I think they're in a pretty good spot. And, and not to get too deep into tiebreakers, but I know you probably mm-hmm. appreciate them as much as I do. Do not discount. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking everybody to all of us. Do not discount the importance of tiebreakers. And if the Blue Jays win three out of four, they win the tiebreaker from Texas, which means if they're tied with them, they get into the playoffs. If they if they split, they'll still be ahead of them in the standings. But if Texas were to tie them, Texas gets the spot. So. Uh, to me, getting three out of four, like four is awesome, obviously, but getting three out of four is crucial because then it's like the Rangers are another game back than the standings even show. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Dan, before I let you go here, you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the analytics or small ball, something that analytics, the analytics side does not have a great explanation for. You know, when we talk about clutch or things like that, you know, John Schneider says it, it's doing what you do, but in bigger spots. And we don't have an ability to show that most, for the most part, that, hey, this guy is clutch and comes through. I think David Ortiz and Damian Lillard are the only two ever, and maybe mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks now, that we'll be able yeah. to quantify, hey, that exists. But something that is very real and we're talking about a long career at this point is George Springer heats up around this time of year. I know you've called a lot of non-Blue Jays playoff baseball as well over the years. So you've seen a lot of autumn George Springer. Um, What do you make of that? A guy's ability to consistently ratchet things up right now as the games get bigger. I think he's just not afraid of the moment. I just think it's the personality that he has. I think there are some very accomplished players over the years, retired, active, uh, for all kinds of teams who have had success, who even in the big moment, is the moment can get a little bit big for them. And I don't think George 
is that guy. And it, it's, it's probably partly his personality and partly the fact that as soon as he got to the big leagues, he was playing on really good teams. Like, he didn't have four or five years playing for bad teams. You know, Altuve came up when they were bad. By the time Springer got there, they were pretty good. So George was kind of thrust into big situations in playoff baseball right away. Um, you know, it, it's, I think some guys just have it. Uh, a little bit more than other guys do. Um, like, and, and and I feel that way about Bo Bichette. I don't. I don't think. I don't think any situation is ever going to cause Bo Bichette to go up there and go, man. If I don't get a hit here, then you know, there. I don't think Bo thinks that way, and I don't think George thinks that way. So um, it, it's great. Keep it. You know, keep it rolling. Keep doing what you've done in the past. I, I think when George is is going well, you know, he gives off an immense amount of of positive energy to the rest of the guys. You see it in the, you know, in the dugout um, during the game. So, um, you know, now that he's hot, I like him back in the leadoff spot and anything he can do to jumpstart the offense is great because they still, they still need home runs, right? They're still not hitting a ton of home runs. Um, and, you know, it, it could be any one of a number of different guys to provide the pop. And if it's George at the top of the order, that's that's as good a thing as the team can have. What a battle of leadoff hitters this this series. George Springer, of course, second all-time in leadoff home runs. Marcus Semien setting a franchise record with eight leadoff home runs for Texas so far this year. So, uh, Dan, no easing into the games for you these next yeah. four. you got to be ready to go from first pitch. It'll feel like playoff baseball, and that's great. Uh, you know, as an announcer, all you want is meaningful baseball in September. As a fan, all you want is meaningful baseball in September. I know the team isn't quite where some people feel they should be and wanted them to be and expected them to be, but this is still going to be really exciting stuff over the next four games and over the next 19 games, I think. And you've got three weeks still to get to your best version of baseball, and you've, you're in control of your playoff destiny. So those are a couple things working in your favor. Uh, Dan Schulman, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. I know there are no off days coming up soon, but hope you're able to find a little bit of midday load management here this week. I will. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate it. Dan Schulman, voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet, voice of Canada basketball, FIBA World Cup bronze medalist. A lot of fun. If you are looking ahead to next year, by the way, to the Olympics, that tournament takes place a little earlier, so it's late July. I believe it starts July 27th, and it would go until about August 11th. So shorter window, better time zone if you're trying to watch games. If you have a tele, uh, a radio show that's on 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and you are trying to watch those games, a better time zone for that. Uh, we'll see how it, if and how it affects uh, Dan Schulman's schedule that time next year. Um, look. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. This is probably the last we'll talk about Canada basketball on Jay's Talk Plus, but it's been really, really cool personally to hear Dan Schulman doing these calls and obviously all of our colleagues at Sportsnet. Um, him and Alvin were terrific on the call. The The panel with Danielle Granger and Sherm is about as good a basketball panel as you can put together, and then especially the Canadian element of it where Sherman Hamilton has played on these teams and Michael Granger has covered these teams forever. Uh, it was a blast, and it's very, very cool for me as a, as a big basketball and baseball fan to have had Dan Schulman calling those games as well. And if you're a Blue Jay fan who missed him, well, you got him back for the stretch run now. The Canada basketball stuff's over. The Canada basketball stuff on Jay's Talk Plus is over. A really, really fun couple of weeks. And of course, I and I'm sure everyone appreciate Dan doing double duty during all of that and help him kind of bring that FIBA experience home uh, narratively. Let's take a break. Let's take a closer look at this Rangers team on the other side, Kennedy Landry of Rangers.com, of MLB.com, is going to join us. We're going to see, I mean, I guess the question is just, what, what the hell, man? What has happened to this Texas Rangers team beyond just 
the bullpen stuff uh, because the starters have been iffy. The bats are still there. Um, I mentioned Marcus Semien has eight leadoff home runs now. Him and Seager went back to back on the weekend. Yeah, it was just against Oakland, but if the Jays are going to feel good about the games they want against Oakland and Kansas City, maybe Texas is coming in feeling good after two good wins as well. We'll see what Kennedy Landry thinks, and we'll set this Rangers series up as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You won't hear that song. That's Mitch Garver's walk-up music, but figured uh, do something a little Texas Rangers here. Uh, for our next guest, she covers the Rangers for MLB.com, for Rangers.com. It's Kennedy Landry. Uh, Kennedy, how are you? All right. Maybe we don't have Kennedy Landry yet. We do have Kennedy Hello. Landry. Kennedy, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are y'all? I'm good. Uh, glad, glad we got you. Um, okay, so... Not a bad weekend for the Texas Rangers. They win a couple. It's just the Oakland A's. But what is, I mean, with how poorly the last month or so has gone, how much can just winning a couple games in a row uh, help this Texas Rangers team maybe exhale a little bit here ahead of probably the biggest series of the season for both this Rangers and Blue Jays team? Yeah, Bruce she said the other day, like, I just feel like we need an easy one. It really felt like the last, you know, like you said, two or three weeks, it was either coming down to the last at-bat or a 1-1 run win where they had to, like, close in and, you know, clinch on it. So it was really, it's been a really stressful couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's just the A's, but a win is a win and a big series win against Oakland at home. And, you know, you, you this like you said, this is a really big series. So it was good to at least get some momentum and hopefully things go a little bit more smoothly this week in Toronto. Uh, we hope differently here, but yes, uh, <laughs> things could, you know, this is a Texas Rangers team that obviously for uh, a chunk of the season was one of the best teams in baseball and certainly uh, the best offense. Some of the good moments over the weekend came on that offensive side. Obviously terrible news last week when Adelise Garcia has, has to hit the IL, um, but Evan Carter comes up. One of their top prospects, someone I know you've been writing about f- since well before the call up here, kind of uh, under the radar guy in the 2020 draft. And now he's here already. He just turned 21. Uh, how cool has that story been for you to follow from kind of draft to now and the boost that Carter gave the Rangers this weekend. Yeah, this has been really fun for me personally. He's one of the first prospects I met when I came in to, to cover the team. Uh, he's a really young kid, really you know, good head on his shoulders, very mature, and he's really great baseball player, as you saw this weekend. Good bat-to-ball skills, really athletic in the outfield to play all three positions. And, yeah, he brought a big boost to this Rangers lineup just by nature, working counts, getting on base, stealing bases. Um, Bruce Bochy said, you know, this guy doesn't need to come in to, to be the savior, be the hero. He just gotta, you know, has to do what he needs to do, do what he's been doing his entire career and help the team get back into playoff contention. So he's done that these first three games. It's going to be really exciting to watch him this last month of the season and hopefully into October. So if we look at this Texas Rangers team and especially 
you know, the, even even over the this last little bit, we you know put the filters on for start of August or last thirty days or whatever you want to do. Um, most of the issues have come on the pitching side, and you look at the top of this order, and Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager. I mean, they they just for emphasis, they went back to back on the weekend. Um, Marcus Semyon setting a franchise record with his eighth leadoff home run. Both of those guys up there among the you know wins above replacement leaders. How, it's a it's a hard thing to navigate from outside that their two best players and three, if you include Adelise Garcia before the injury, have all done exactly what you'd ask for, and these struggles has still happened. Um, what have Semyon and Seeger done through this? I, I know both of those guys are important leadership voices in that room as well, and you know have gone through some some playoff races and things like that. Um, Semyon and, and Seeger kind of still being themselves through all of this. Has that kind of been like one thing the Rangers can kind of lean on to hope that they could turn it around? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one thing you know if you watch this Rangers team with any sort of consistency. You know, Marcus Simeon's going to go out there, he's going to post up every day, and he's going to, you know, make things happen, whether that's uh, on the bases, uh, on defense. Again, leadoff home runs, just getting on base. I mean, you, you love a guy who can get on base in front of Corey Seager, and that's exactly what Marcus Simeon does. I mean, even just off the field in the clubhouse, Marcus has said he's spoken up in hitters meetings, just trying to keep this thing going in the right direction, even though things haven't exactly gone their way over the last three weeks. Um, you know, since around August 15th, I think is when the slide specifically started. Um, and even offensively hasn't been the, you know, juggernaut that we saw earlier in the season, but they've you know, found a way to grind across some runs during this tough stretch. They've, you know, hit a couple of big homers, especially from Corey and Marcus, and even Mitch Garver, you mentioned his walk-up song earlier uh, on this call. So there's a lot of things and a lot of reasons why maybe the Rangers have been struggling, but you can't point to those two guys making the big money uh, for why these struggles are happening. How much are they looking ahead to the weekend, too? And we don't know an, an exact date, and who knows how this week goes on the rehab assignment, but it does sound like Josh Young is is getting close to coming back and, you know, solidifying that that third base spot. Uh, how much are they looking forward to that on the offensive and, and to a lesser extent, but, but still important, the defensive side as well? Yeah, you know, missing uh, Josh Young, I don't think any of us realized, you know, quite how important that was going to be to this lineup. And obviously he's, an all-star is was leading the rookie of the year candidacy before he got hurt with the fractured thumb earlier this, uh, last month. Uh, but the Rangers definitely need him. He really lengthens this lineup, you know, you know, kind of connects that top and bottom from this top four of uh, Marcus Corey, Nathaniel Lowe, Adolis Garcia, and then the bottom bit with, uh, with Ezekiel Duran and Leody Tavares. He kind of keeps that thing, you know, consistent throughout. Uh, and they're definitely missing another, I think, Bruce Bochy said big boys uh, in the lineup. So they will definitely hoping to get him back. You know, he's well ahead of schedule, it sounds like. And hopefully he'll be in uh, with the Rangers in Cleveland. So that is some, those are some positives on the offensive side. Obviously things have not gone very well in general. There are a lot of (laughs) negatives then uh, to sort through as well. So, um, I mean, the bullpen's gotten the headlines, but there's also this stat I saw you share um, or or retweet someone who had shared after yesterday's game that despite two wins on the weekend, the Rangers have now gone 22 consecutive games without their starting pitcher getting a win. And I know starting pitcher wins are like an outdated stat, but that's still (laughs) a pretty remarkable streak. Um, We knew the bullpen was, was shaky and needed some help. How surprised have you been that the rotation has struggled as well, even now, you know, now that 
there are more guys there and there are more options. Really, it's been, you know, Jordan Montgomery, the only kind of consistent piece of late. Yeah, uh, th- that really did shock me, especially, you know, the t- this team opened August with eight straight wins coming out of the trade deadline. Uh, and then they followed it up with eight straight losses. And that's where the slide began. Um, not even just Nathan Avaldi just coming off the, the injured list, hasn't really pitched deep into the games in the first two off the, the IL. Max Scherzer hasn't exactly looked like himself. Obviously, all season he hasn't exactly been, you know, the, the three-time Cy Young winner we know. Uh, but he did have a lot of really good starts uh, when he first came over at the trade deadline. Um, and then it's just been a lot of, you know, everything that can go wrong really has gone wrong for for the Rangers. Even Jordan Montgomery, who's old reliable, I guess you would call him. I mean, he's had a couple of clunkers these last two times out, the, a five and six run outing. So there's really feels like nothing is clicking at the same time. Uh, and the bullpen, like you said, has really been the headliner all year long, even when this was one of the best teams in the American League. Uh, there was not you know, too many reliable arms out there. And there's Bruce Gochi is really big on, you know, riding the hot hand of the relievers who are doing good. And these the last three weeks, it feels like nobody has really been the hot hand. Every, everybody he's turned to has, has really struggled. And it's, I think that's a really, I don't want to say helpless feeling because this is a hall of fame manager, but it's a, it's a weird feeling to watch where no matter what happens, uh, it just seems like nothing was going right. So, um, Obviously, this weekend against Oakland, like you said, it's, it is just Oakland, but hopefully that gets things a little bit back on track for them where uh, things are going in the right direction. You mentioned Bruce Bochy, who, yeah, he's headed to the Hall of Fame. I think he's top 10 all-time in wins. Like, he, he's seen it all, but he is reaching a little bit, and, and that's happened certainly at the back end of the bullpen. But they're, they also seem to be just trying some stuff at the back end of the rotation. So Dane Dunning, who will start tonight, has seen time out of the bullpen. Andrew Heaney came out of the bullpen uh, the other day because he wasn't scheduled to start for a little bit. Martin Perez is now kind of a, a bulk reliever. Do you anticipate they will just kind of continue throwing things at the wall like this? You know, obviously, if you make the playoffs, you're going down to three or four starting pitchers anyway. But this kind of, hey, there's Scherzer in Montgomery and everyone else is potentially an opener slash bulk guy. Is that kind of the way this is going to play out the next little bit? And maybe at the back end of the rotation, you know, I think you do expect that your Scherzer's Montgomery is Nathan Evaldi, John Gray to really be, you know, four starting pitchers. Uh, it'll be very curious to see how they use those uh, longer bulk guys like Dane Dunning, Andrew Haney, Martin Perez, who are all who have all come out of the bullpen at some, certain points in their careers and have all you know been in this Rangers rotation this season. Um, Dane Dunning has been uh, a real bright spot for the Rangers this season when you think about it, just because he flipped into the rotation from the bullpen when Jacob Degrom went down, has proceeded to post a three-five ERA for most of the year. Um, he's really been phenomenal. Uh, especially when you lose a guy like Jacob DeGrom. So I'm very curious to see how Bruce Bochy really utilizes these guys. Andrew Heaney did record the win yesterday, ironically, as a reliever and not a starter, um, since the starters aren't recording wins right now. Um, and, and Martin Perez has honestly been one of the Rangers' better relievers over this stretch, um, even though he is technically a starter. So I don't know. I think Bruce Bochy, you kind of trust what you get with him. Uh, when he makes decisions, you sometimes I'm like, well, he's the Hall of Famer for a reason. So um, it'll definitely be interesting down the stretch here. You mentioned Ivaldi uh, in that, and we're going to see him Thursday based on the probable pitchers. Um, he did look better last time out, but they still only let him go two and two-thirds innings. Um, is this... 
is this the plan for him or is this continued part of the ramp up after coming off of that, that kind of lengthier IL stay? I guess what, what I mean, like, is there a, are we anticipating like a pitch count Thursday, maybe four innings, 60 pitches kind of thing, or is it, is, is this kind of what we're looking at with Evaldi the next little bit? I do anticipate a pitch count for him uh, on Thursday against uh, Toronto. I think it is a part of his continued ramp up. He did not go on a rehab assignment. Uh, he really just, came out of the gate, you know, throw into the Houston Astros, which is not quite the lineup you want to, you know, face coming off of an injury. But um, I do think, you know, the Rangers needed him back, and he said he was ready to get major league pitchers out. So uh, this is part of his continued ramp-up. I do maybe expect uh, about 60, maybe 70 pitches if things are going well, if he's not too fatigued, uh, they don't work too many long counts and things like that. So Dane Dunning tonight, Evaldi on Thursday, Jordan Montgomery in there. The headline one seems to be Tuesday's game between Hyunjin Ryu and Max Scherzer. I know Scherzer's last start up against Justin Verlander of all people didn't go particularly well, but it's been, you know, his first six starts with, with Texas were really solid. Um, Kenny, you as a baseball fan, how cool has it been? How much fun has it been to see Max Scherzer acquired by this team and how he's, you know, kind of fit in or tried to fit in here so far? Yeah, he's a he's a perfect media's manager, uh, <laughs> media's player, I guess you yeah. would say. Uh, you know, he gives you the the long answers, he gives you the insight, he gives you everything you want. And like you said, as a baseball fan, that's amazing. Uh, just to be able to talk to him and interact with him on the daily, and being able to watch him, you know, every fifth day for the last month and a half, it's been phenomenal. Obviously, the last one, uh, the Verlander matchup, was very anticipated, uh, and, and Scherzer didn't really pitch as well as he would have liked. But I do think, you know, he's um, he's eager to get back out there and really, you know, put on a show the next time out and really, you know, help get this team to the postseason. He's done it for numerous uh, other times. He, you know, got to the to peak of it with uh, Washington. So he's been phenomenal. Uh, and obviously, in a, you know, a rotation where we did have Jacob DeGrom at one point, Nathan Evaldi has been amazing. It's just a really great group of guys that he's kind of acclimated himself within. All right, uh, Kennedy, before I let you go, I have to ask because it is getting to be that kind of year. I know you used to, I mean, you went to LSU and you used to cover LSU. How, <laughs> how are you feeling about the LSU season? I know not not the sharpest of starts here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's always a good Tigers. I'm always ready. I think this is a really good football team. I don't think we, we're quite going to get to the to promised land again, um, but I, I think we're looking at a good 9-10 win season. They can really, you know, shake it up, play spoilers likely. I think this will be a really exciting college football season with no clear, uh, you know, top dog under Georgia, I guess you'd say. So um, hoping to get back home after after the baseball season's over and catch a couple of games. Nice. Well, uh, we here in Toronto hope that your season is over sooner than later because <laughs> there's, I, I guess there's a scenario we could shake hands and it's the Mariners who are on the outside. We could, we could agree on that. Um, but hoping you get an LSU <laughs> trip sometime soon. Uh, Kennedy Landry of Rangers.com. Thank you so much for taking the time out this morning. Absolutely. Thank y'all for having me. Kennedy Landry, uh, MLB.com rangers.com uh strongly recommend if you go to her twitter account at ken landry uh, k-e-n-n landry there is a pinned story about evan carter from back in july uh, about his rise from kind of less touted draft prospect in 2020 to at that point already on the cusp of the majors as a top prospect and now in the major leagues just a little past his 21st birthday um 
man, teams are getting more aggressive with this stuff. We saw the Diamondbacks call Jordan Lawler up for their playoff race the other day. The Cubs are calling up Pete Crow Armstrong today. The Blue Jays, of course, have gotten huge contributions from David Schneider and, and you know, Spencer Horwitz and Ernie Clement are not as high on the prospect list, but still boosts from AAA. Uh, it really hammers home that, yeah, sometimes when we take a look down on the farm and things like that, it's because we got two hours a day over 162 games to, to fill. But all of that little stuff matters. If David Schneider at the end of 2022 starts showing a little something different with the bat, if Alan Roden in 2023 gets to double A ahead of, you know, expected and, and is crushing it there, if Ricky Tiedemann, he threw again on the weekend um, and, you know, continues to inch up the pitch count and the innings count, this stuff maybe doesn't matter today. It maybe doesn't matter next week, but it all matters. David Schneider has mattered dramatically to this team. Jay Jackson and Bowden Francis have mattered a ton. The teams that the Blue Jays are fighting with in these playoff races, um, some prospects have come up and mattered a ton for them. Josh Young last year for this Rangers team, and then this year, of course, and now um, Evan Carter, who, yeah, Kennedy set it up. A pretty tremendous outfielder. We'll see how the bat jumps. He was just kind of, um, I mean, he barely played at AAA, he was very good at double A, but you're talking about a two level jump here at a time when uh, the jumps in the minor leagues to the majors have never been, uh, never been higher. So we'll see, but obviously he has the, uh, the bat to ball skill and the outfield ability there to be a, a relevant piece. So tonight it's going to be Dane Dunning against Chris Bassett. We, we gave you a little bit of Dunning earlier. It's actually a battle of guys who, Approach things similarly. So Dane Dunning is going to throw about 91, but he throws six different pitches. He throws uh, a sinker. That is his most commonly used pitch. He's a, a gets a, a good amount of ground balls with it, but also, you know, he throws 90, 91 and change up cutter, sinker, slider, curveball, four seam. None of those pitches are elite. The sinker is the best one. This is the type of guy who the Blue Jays have struggled with at times, even though the stuff might not blow you away. On the other side is Chris Bassett, who has been ridiculous lately. This will be a good test for him because when Chris Bassett hasn't been at his best this year, it's because it's because of the long ball and specifically the long ball from lefties. So this is a Texas team that obviously has a couple of lefties who can take you for a ride. But Chris Bassett's success the last couple starts is something maybe you're confident in carrying over. The sinker is still his best pitch, but the cutter has been a lot better over the last month or so, um, opponents are only hitting 095 against it over the last month. Um, it had been a very ineffective pitch earlier in the year to the extent that, you know, was looking at it sometimes and thinking, you know, I know you throw eight pitches, but numbers wise, this should be the one that gets minimized. Um, he has started to throw that uh, more effectively and then back to throwing it a little bit more. The curveball has been good as well. Um, when you're in a pitching staff with Hyunjin Ryu, maybe your curveball does not catch eyes as much because Ryu's is uh, so good. But Bassett threw it 25 times two games ago, and he's thrown 74 over the last five starts with just one hit off of it. Uh, that stat comes to us from from Chris Black, uh, by the way. So the sinker is still the top pitch there. Um, it's also you know the pitch he can most reliably keep the ball on the ground with. And if you're looking at a Texas team, like this one, that's a uh, a pretty important thing. The other side of the pitching matchups in this series is, yeah, the four head-to-head -head starter matchups are really, really fun. There are eight very good starting pitch, or I'll say seven very good starting pitchers going in this series. Um, 
the bullpens, though, are dramatically different. Uh, I mentioned over the last, uh, since August 1st, the Jays bullpen has an ERA are more than a run and a half lower than Texas. If you look at on the season, Texas has a 489 bullpen ERA. The Jays are at 359. Um, the, you know, I reference sometimes here on Blue Jay Central meltdowns versus shutdowns, which is instead of saves and blown saves, this captures middle reliever performances as well. And it's, hey, you came into the game. Here is your win probability. What was the win probability when you left the game? Um, similar to, you know, how we do win probability added for a position player. It's just, did you keep the game winnable? Did you make it way less winnable? Did you make it way more winnable? And the Rangers have nearly as many meltdowns as shutdowns where the Jays have like a two to one ratio. So um, this is all just a couple of different ways to highlight that this Rangers bullpen has been very, very bad since August 15th. They have a 631 ERA. So how do you handle that? Well, how the Jays have handled that the last couple opponents is seems to be, well, don't get any hits off the, don't get any runs or hits off the starter. Just wait until the bullpen comes in to do your damage. I would advise not doing that. Uh, I think getting Dane Dunning, getting to Dane Dunning early in this game is important. Getting the pitch count up, getting into this bullpen. Uh, anytime you're looking at a four game series, that cascading effect of overworking a bullpen early in the series flows into later games. Uh, who's available, who's pitching fatigued, things like that. So I think there's um, that's an important thing to keep in mind if you're this Blue Jays team and you'll want to see some offense pretty early here against Dane Dunning and company. Uh, it's Chris Bassett against Dane Dunning. First pitch down at seven, down at Rogers Center, 7 o'clock tonight. Blair and Barker will have you five to seven to set that one up further. They'll also have Jay's talk for you uh, post game show Ali and Sam McKee are coming up after me next year. I'd imagine they're going to do a fair amount of blue Jay's talk as well. Since show Ali is uh, a Jay's talk regular as well. So tune in for more of that. Uh, thank you to Kennedy Landry for coming on to Dan Schulman, Lindsay Dunn and Keegan Matheson uh, as well. Thanks to Jeff Lance and Frank behind the glass. We will be back with you 10 a.m. tomorrow, potentially talking about the Jays' best 15-game stretch of the season if they come away with a win tonight. Very, very big series. Uh, enjoy it, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow.